Avatar, The Last Korra. Stop! Filler time! Boop, 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 boop. I don't know how the rest of that song goes. Yeah, I think I think you were doing like popcorn or something. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we're, we're talking about some filler today, you know? Taking a little break from the action. Yeah, you know? who needs plot, man? Sometimes it's yeah, it's I, it's, nice it's, it's weird because like last episode ended on such like a disturbing note, and then we just jump right into you know taking a break, kicking back, taking a spa day, really. <laughs> right, like it's it's very strange, sort of tonally the shift. Um, but you know that's that's sort of possible with uh, episodic storytelling. Right, I mean. This is, uh, Tales of Ba Sing Se is a, a, a fan favorite of sorts, it, w- wouldn't you say? It's it's sort of this yeah. outlier, and so people can easily point to it and go, like, that's my fave, you know? Mm-hmm. I like this. And... Yeah, and I, I'm curious if there are a lot of other, um, like, kids shows that sort of do this, like, everyone gets their own little mini-story episode type thing um because at least for me it felt really like novel and interesting to to sort of see it the first time as like a kid i don't know that all of them will have like title cards signaling the start of a new vignette Mm -hmm. but um i mean i've definitely seen other television shows that have sort of vignette scenes rather than a, a full plot throughout the episode yeah um, all right. Maybe maybe we'll do a podcast episode about that sometimes. We've done bottle episodes, we'll right. do uh, vignette episodes. Um, but but this one's interesting. Each of the main characters, uh, including Momo, sort of gets their own story. Um, and uh, some of them are definitely better than others. <laughs> uh, right. there, there's definitely a sliding scale of how engaging each story is do you have a personal favorite from these i don't have a favorite i have a least favorite (laughs) all right what's your least favorite i think the ang story is easily the weakest i mean just i mean that's pretty obvious i I mean i used to really like the iroh one a lot more than i do now um really I, i don't know what changed it just sort of lost its uh its uniqueness i guess and i i sort of Grew up and and I no longer find him quite as wise as I once did. <laughs> All right, that's fair enough. Things change over time. The way we interact with media changes over time. But um, yeah, I don't know. That one still held a lot of power for me. But it's not my favorite. Uh, okay, well, what's just your favorite? My favorite's the poetry rap jam, man. It's the yeah. Best. Again, like I found it very funny. Uh, years years ago, uh, it just no longer holds the same power. I mean, um, it's not like I cracked up during it or anything this time it's, around. It's very simple, the, which is good. Right. It's It's got, it knows what its premise is, it sticks to it, and it nails it. And it it's just like a solid, like wonderful little nugget of writing. And I just, even if it doesn't make me... Mug. Yeah, it doesn't make me laugh necessarily. It it still brings joy to my heart every time I watch it. Yeah. Well, let's take these one by one. Let's start with the first one, which is the tale of uh, Katara and Toph. Girls' day out. 
going to the small Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of silly that they they have to share a tail when yeah. literally Momo gets his own tail. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> Sexism in the Avatar universe. Well, I mean, yeah, it's just a little bit of inherent bias. Uh, well, I mean, they gotta share. They gotta share their tail. Um, it starts off with uh, the gang grooming themselves for the day. Uh, so, shaving mostly. But Katara <laughs> puts in her loops, which I think is the first time we ever see her yeah. put in a loop. The loops are explained. <laughs> Katara's hair loopies. I mean, for a time, I had no idea how they worked. It was like, does she just have hair that grows from the end of her hair to the other? You know. <laughs> yeah, all right. I didn't get it. It's a hairstyle. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so then we get to Toph, who is doing basically nothing to groom herself. And uh, Katara comes in and is like, we should go to the spa. And Toph's like, that sounds girly and dumb, but fine. Um, She's not like other girls. Yeah, she's different. Um, and she's like, my one rule is that nobody touches my sensitive feet that I used to see. And then they get touched, which, comedy, I guess. Hooray. I don't know. I, I thought the, the scenes were, you know, kind of charming in the in, in the spa. Yes, I you think know. most of them were fine. I just didn't like that one particular thing. Like... In terms of disability narrative, we're like, this is her way of seeing, and again, like, they're very sensitive, and other people ignored that, and, like, invaded her bodily autonomy. It's a minor thing, Yeah, but then she kicked their ass with a giant earthquake, so, you know, (laughs) she gets gets the last laugh. Yeah, Um, as she usually does. I like the mud bath goof with the, the cucumber slug, and, uh... Well, for people who haven't seen the episode, that description makes no sense. Oh, but, it's fine. Go uh, to the episode. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it's this episode, episode, why are you listening? Well, it's, for, to, it's a recap. That's exactly All what right. people do. All right. Anyway, listen. They get out of the spa, and uh, they've got makeup on, and immediately three mean girls appear, as they always come in threes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they just immediately start making fun of uh, tough and how ugly she looks. Yeah. Okay. Weird, you know, it's, it's a weird move to just be like, you're ugly. Right. I'm like... Stranger. <laughs> the person I was watching these with brought up, like, why would anyone just randomly bully anyone else in a world where anyone you meet could have magic powers? Like, right. you're I just kind of asking for point. it, you know? It's It's a fair point. And then on top of that, like, they're just such cliche mean girls. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of them makes a joke and the other's like, good one, star. And it's such <laughs> an, like, over-the-top line read. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Top turns around and has a, a great little moment where she's like, that was a good one. This is also a good one. And dunks them in the river. And then Katara bends them down the river. And those bullies got served. Well, I mean, it's kind of like punching somebody who, yep. like, said a mean thing to you. Which, no, yeah. I don't I'm... know if that, like, fixes the problem. Exactly. But it is kind of satisfying. Um, but then yeah, Katara's, yeah. like, tough. 
you're pretty and she's pretty but doesn't know it, you know? Like in all <laughs> the bad screenplays. Yeah. Toph is pretty, but she doesn't know it. And like I don't know. It's it's just such a strange moment between the two of them where Toph is like, I actually liked being girly and it's like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what you want us to say, hooray for you or something. Like, like it's just totally strange. I find this one very strange. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's sort of charming in its own way. Um, it's it's definitely not the weirdest tonally in this one. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, I, I think that, that Toph kind of needed a day to sort of talk about her relationship with femininity because it is different from most of the other characters in the show. Like Mm -hmm. even Suki, who is like a warrior is a warrior in a particularly feminine kind of way. Right. And so they needed to sort of say like, listen, Toph not being feminine isn't an example of like being masculine is better than being feminine. And that makes her badass because she's more masculine. Mm. It's just an aspect of her character, and, you know, it's not that she, like, hates femininity. She just, you know, is blind, and so doesn't put that (laughs) much weight into physical appearance. Doesn't particularly care about it, which, like, fair enough. Um, Right. All right, so that's that's the first one with the girls. Yeah. Then we get... So then we jump right into Iroh, which I think is a weird placement. Yeah, you would think this one would come, like, last or, like, second to last or something like that. I would think it would come, like, in the middle, you know, sort of as, like, before the commercial break sort of thing. And then when you come back, it's more funny stuff. How would you have structured it? You have to end with Momo for reasons. So I guess the only ones I would switch would be Iroh and Aang. All right. Um... But yeah, Iroh's just having a fun day. He's just literally well, just having a day. He is just having a day. Um, you know, he's going around buying different stuff and helping people. And um, he very quickly ends up with a, uh, a little, like, loot type thing. I, I don't know what the actual instrument is called. <laughs> I feel like I should know that. Um, and he plays this song called leaves from the vine and the minute it started playing i teared up and i didn't expect that (laughs) like maybe i was just particularly emotionally vulnerable that day but like i was just like oh shit the emotions are coming ah like the first time he plays it because he he plays it for um a little boy who's crying and he he soothes him with this music um and sure. and you'll you'll see at the end of the episode why it made me cry because it's sad, um, right. <laughs> or so not I, if like you're David. Iroh, all of the things that he does, it's about him being sort of kind, just yes. inordinately kind to other people. Yes. And at the end, you reveal that it's due to some pain in his uh, in his past. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know sort of the the hurt ones could be the most kind kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then. But, like, all of the things that he does for other people are very symbolic of his – with his relationship with Zuko. Uh-huh. Um, and, like, he he knows about flowers. He just has this, like, botanical knowledge. But it's about sort of cultivating 
the flower in sort of a, a, a non-traditional way. So you right. have to put it in the shade. Putting so it in the right environment. Him. Right. So it's about him knowing that like Zuko, you know, he doesn't he doesn't react the same way as other people to sunshine, happiness, etc. Um, he sings to children to calm them down when they're crying. That's definitely related to mm-hmm. Zuko. He's a crybaby. Um, <laughs> and uh, he literally tells like some kids who broke a window to to run from their punishment uh-huh. which is exactly what he does with Zuko and uh then he gets sort of uh mugged by <laughs> I'm mugging a you. terrible mugger with that stance classic yeah he's he's got bad form so instead of just being like you're a criminal you know I disown you He's like, listen, you know, I can train you to be a better criminal, but I bet you have a better path for you, like maybe serving tea in my tea shop. Um, uh, or becoming a masseuse. Um, yeah. What's the difference between a masseur and a masseuse? Uh, nothing, as far as I'm aware. A masseuse is more whimsical, and they rhyme. <laughs> um, a masseuse works in Whoville. A masseur doesn't. Right. I like the <laughs> I like the line when the guy is like mugging him. He's like, "I'm not a criminal. I'm just confused." I know it's such a dumb line. <laughs> it's very dumb. It sort of implies that like all criminals are just like, you know, they're just lost. Like they're not acting completely rationally and like <sighs> trying to mug someone because they're broke and about to starve to death. Right. It's it's a little patronizing, I think. Right. Um, and it's like, oh, he just he just needed someone to believe in him, I guess. Yeah. I do like the line that Iroh says there, though, because like, cause this is a thing that uh, yeah. it, it's been a theme a I've line. been seeing popping up in, in other media recently, um, just like random stuff that I've been watching, um, where, you know, like there's there's this dichotomy of like, you have to love yourself before others can love you or you have to rely on others to like help you find your way back to yourself or something like that. And I feel like this is like a nice in the middle where it's like, it's best to believe in oneself, but a little help from others can be a great blessing. I'm like, hell yeah, man. Absolutely. I can get behind that. I'm into it. I think it's one of Iroh's better sort of aphorisms. Yeah. Um, so then you find out what he's been buying stuff for all day is for uh, a, a vigil or what, what would you memorial. call it? Memorial. An anniversary yeah. memorial service for his dead son, Luten. Um, Who and, died in uh, Ba Sing Se. Yeah, oddly enough. And so he goes up on like a hill and uh, he, he brings some incense and he lights it with the tip of his fingers. And I just think it'd be funny if Jet suddenly popped up and went, <laughs> this firebender lit his own incense. Oh, my God. And his morning is firebender general son. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it actually probably, like, would have worked if he had yeah. the police, like, come up. Because it's yeah. like, oh, so you don't have any matches. You're miles from anywhere where you would have lit these incense sticks. So right. you clearly lit them yourself. Um, whether they'd arrest him for that, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know if the Dai Li is interested in arresting random firebender refugees. I mean, probably. But, uh, probably, yeah. Um, um, yeah, so he 
he sings Leaves from the Vine again and, like, cries during it. Cries. And then, like, I cried again. And then, so during, after season two had been fully recorded, um, but before it aired, um, the actor who played Iroh passed away, um, Mako. Right. And but there were a couple lines that did have to be um, filled in yeah. in season two yes. with uh, his his understudy. You could really hear it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a it's not a perfect <laughs> impression. No, it's really not. Um, but so they um, <laughs> so they dedicate the the this story to um, to Mako. Which is, yeah. like, very touching. I agree. And then we follow that up with the the poop story. Aang's oh, God. Story. <laughs> Basically, Aang destroys a large chunk of Ba Sing Se in the name of animal rights, question mark. But it's only to put them in, like, a bigger zoo, which still has issues. He, and kidnaps dogs. He goes to dogs. Ba Sing Se Zoo, where everyone's sort of cramped. Um, but I don't even know why he goes there. Like, I know. What is he doing there? My guess is looking for Appa. It's never explicitly but, stated, but that's the right. only thing I could guess. <laughs> but it, it's like he doesn't is the thing. Like, right. That's the interesting part is like he doesn't even like ask like, hey, have you seen a giant bison? Right. Um, so then he's just like, uh, oh, I, I wish that there, there was a place where they could roam free. And it's like, what about right outside of the city? And it's like, one... <laughs> That might not be the best place to put a zoo because it's hard to, like, to get you to. need, like, a passport to get out of the outer wall, don't you? Probably. And then second of all, like, you don't just automatically own whatever land looks like a zoo. Like, well, you... it's, it's not the, like, outer, outer wall. It's, like, the middle outer wall or whatever. The one that leads to all, like, the is nice it? farm. Yeah, because all the nice farmland is still inside the, the big wall. Well, it, then it's not clearly shown because you don't really see not. like the outer outer wall, so yeah. it looks like they're just going outside of the city entirely. But either way, it's it, you need a passport to cross between different rings. Yes. Um, um, and so that might be a, a weird place to put it. And then furthermore, <laughs> isn't that probably somebody's farmland exactly. that you're just tearing up? That you've just destroyed their livelihood. Um, and so then, you know, he says, like, are you sure you can handle all these animals and getting them outside the city? Because that's the biggest issue here. And he's like, I'm sure I can handle it. Also, I and can't... so then it just cuts to all the animals out of the cages. <laughs> right. I I can't tell if they're also trying to do, like, a, a critique of, like, communism or something at the beginning here. What? Where, where, okay, hear me out. Because, like, <laughs> it's just like, one line in the beginning, and it's really weird, where the zookeeper is like, the Dai Li won't give me any money for the zoo, and then the kids won't come. Well, it's just about public funding for... I, all right. For, you know, public parks and stuff. Like, that's I a guess. problem in every country in the world. That's true. Basically. Uh, I don't think that's a critique of communism. All right. that's, that's a bit of a stretch. First of all, it's not a communist uh, state. It's, it's a monarchist. But anyway, like... <laughs> Um, it's like a feudal country. It's not, right. <laughs> they don't have communists. Yeah, I got it. Um, so the, the, they let all the animals out of the cages at once. I just feel like, wouldn't he, like, after letting out, like, several of the animals realize that it was getting out of hand and then not open the rest of the cages? 
Or maybe he used just, like, air magic to open them all at once. I have no idea. Like, they are made of metal. They are I, cages. I know. I don't... He doesn't... He doesn't metal bend. So. I know. I have no idea. Um, so... So yeah, then just chaos. Then we, it's just chaos. We get a cabbage merchant cameo. The Kanga yeah. bunny lady thing I think thing this is, is the third one or the fourth one, maybe? This season? Yeah, something like that. Um... Yeah, so a, a rabaroo. Rabaroo, that's what it his is. His cabbages, and he doesn't even finish the line this time. He says, "My cab," and then just cries. Um, yeah. Um, I really like the some of the animals. I like the that buffalo mm-hmm. mandrill thing. That thing's cool. Yeah. There's that's a lot it. of neat animals. That's all there is. To For the some story. reason, Ang makes Ang's a zoo. Uh, the end. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, Aang's buffalo whistle like just works on all the animals. I guess. Uh, Who knew? First of all, why? And then second of all, then why doesn't every other time he blows the whistle like a, a bunch million of animals, animals just stampede him? Right. Like it's, uh, it's, it's listen, poorly it's, thought out. It's poorly thought out. Um, but then and we then have... the punchline is uh, after he builds the zoo outside the city and gets all the animals there safe, there's a bunch of like house cats that also followed his whistle. Classic. Um, it's the uh, the Pied Piper leading the rats out of somewhere. Bossing say. Right? Yeah. Rats out of, yeah. Um, all right. Then we get Lame. my favorite one, which I I had to write down the name of the woman who wrote this. Lauren McMillan, thank you for this delightful piece of writing. Um, okay. <laughs> Saga, right. Saga is wandering around and stumbles across a, a little poetry jam. And peeks his head through the window. Sort of. Yeah. They're they're doing haikus. They're doing haikus. And he accidentally gets kicked through the window and in in apologizing says a haiku himself and everyone's really impressed. But then there's like a a mean lady who's like in charge of the group who sort of challenges him for interrupting their uh their poetry jam and it turns into like a, a rap battle between the two of them. And, uh, yeah, Sokka's it's fun. poems all rhyme, uh, despite them being haiku. So, but that's fine. Yeah, I guess anything's fine. Um, I guess the world is just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is are haikus explicitly not supposed to rhyme? It's not a goal of. A it's haiku not a goal, but rhyme. it doesn't mean it can't be. Yeah, but his. I mean. He, all his his poems are just five syllables, then seven, then five. They aren't really like they're not getting the the actual essence of what a haiku is supposed to be. I mean, yes, but like it's fun. Sure, it's fun, and and you have the other lady there who's doing it the right way. And, um, yeah. <laughs> so he, he ends up defeating her in the haiku battle, and then he takes his victory lap, but then, uh, you got one too many syllables there, bub, and gets thrown out of the, uh, cute girl poetry lounge. And that's about it. He's an artist, this He's guy. He's an artist. You know? This is Sokka. He's not just a warrior. He's not just a pragmatist. He, he <laughs> believes in the arts. <laughs> then we get date night. With Zuko and random girl who we never see again. Um, Her name's Jin. I guess, maybe? if Jin? you say so. <laughs> uh, June? I don't know. June. 
No. No. Jin? No. Zuko uh, sees this girl and she's like, she's a spy. Um, <laughs> that she's stalking him. And he's been, you know, trained to sort of distrust women stalking him. Uh, Which, fair enough. He does have an by evil sister. His sister and her friends stalking him. Yeah. Um, but no, she just wants a date. And then Iroh yeah. makes him go on the date and he brushes his hair real goofy. But then she messes it up. And uh, they have a really awkward dinner conversation that's uncomfortable to watch. No, I, I I really like the line, you have quite an appetite for a girl. Really? Thank you? Th- thank you? Thank you? It, it just all feels so awkward, and they have no chemistry, and then they, like, she's like, come see this beautiful lantern fountain thing, uh, but then it's not lit, and Zuko's like, all right, close your eyes, and uses his firebending to light them, which, like, holy shit, dude, risky move. <laughs> like... You could just, like, run around to each of them and pretend you're, like, lighting them with, like, a match or something. But he just stands in the middle of the square and, like, firebend shoots them all. That wouldn't be as romantic. Yeah, um, truly. Also, you skipped the best part where he What's says that he part? was in the circus and that he oh. juggles. Yeah, he and does he... that. It's stupid. And he's like, I'm out of practice. <laughs> It's stupid because he could have been like, oh, yeah, I was a um, sword juggler or something, you know, or like I juggled yeah, but, fire. Uh, but, he, but he didn't say that. He he fucked up and said he's a juggler and he wasn't <laughs> expecting her to say juggle something right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. So then then okay. after they laid all the lamps, they kiss or and she he's tries like, to kiss him. I can't right now. I'm too Zuko right now. Yeah. And he like runs away, but then at the end of the night, he's kind of like, I don't know, it was nice. I didn't hate it. To to Iroh. And uh, yeah. that's the end of, of Zuko's day. And, yeah. I don't... and Jin got a free coupon for some tea. For some it, tea. So, yeah. so what can you do? What can you do? Uh it's Momo time. I like Momo's this one. Momo is a character. Momo has a dream about how he misses Appa. And, you know, we can see this all visually. There's no dialogue in this one, naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, he And he, he stumbles across a, a tuft of fur that smells like Appa. So he Runs ties around it around his wrist to, you know, hold on to it. Yeah. You know, he chases various things that look like Appa. There's a cloud, and then there's, like, a tree that from the rooftop kind of looks like Appa. Um, he gets waylaid. And he gets chased by some yeah. street cats. Yep. By Top Cat. He he, he briefly um, joins a dancing monkey routine in the middle of the scene that provided many a gif back in uh, 2008. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the moves. Um, I like the use of like fisheye lens and like sort of a green tint when he's looking at humans. Yeah, that's when they're talking. It sounds like gibberish. That was brought back from um, season one when uh, they're sick. And I I, I like the return to Momo vision. (laughs) Momo vision. I find it amusing. Um, So he helps. uh, They get captured by this like rare meats guy, this guy who. Butchers random street animals to sell to people. Hey, that uh, seems gotta make like, a buck. How, why would anyone buy this? 
You got, you need I'd the like, meat. I'd like your rabid, your rabid raccoon <laughs> meat, please. I need the meat from the, the special sauce. <laughs> yeah, just, just like capturing rats and like putting them in a grinder. <laughs> like, weird guy. Um, but weird anyway, guy. They, uh, Momo escapes and frees all the street cats that were chasing him. So they help him find uh, Appa's footprint, which was left in the dirt. Yep, and he curls up in the rain and like cries on it and it's sad and that's the end yeah. of the episode which leads us directly into Appa's last days where yeah, we get I to find see this interesting what they, it's to. something they didn't have to do right like, right they could have skipped this yeah they didn't they stay they they purposely wanted us to explain exactly how Appa got to bossing say even though, you know, if we skipped this episode, we would have just assumed, okay, yeah, the merchants, like they said, sold Appa to Ba Sing Se, mm-hmm. and then he was taken by uh, Long Fang. Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. But we got we to gotta do Dumbo. It's Dumbo time. It's Dumbo, and it's... Here's the thing. I just... <laughs> this entire episode comes down to Naga could never. Like, you could never have an episode like this about Naga and Korra. Or, like... You could try. You could try. <laughs> it would be weird, though. It would really come out of nowhere. You know? Like, right. Appa already had a noticeable role and personality and, like, things we knew he could do. Right. <laughs> but, like... In this one, we get to, like, dig even deeper into that. And you you don't get to do that unless there's already, like, a baseline, you know? Right. Like, I mean, this is a story about Appa's bond with Aang and how yeah. it's, like, spiritual. So it, it sort of plays into the thematics of the connections between nature and, and humans and mm-hmm. friendship and bonds and blah, blah. Um it it starts, you know, right where we left off with Appa, with him getting dragged through an entire desert on his belly. Yeah, it, it starts with... Like a lot with, of chafing. Yeah, it starts with the, the flashback to the episode where he actually gets captured. Um, and then there's a couple of moments where they'll cut back to sort of like what the gang was kind of doing during this time. And, you know, if Appa was there to, to witness it, um, like when Aang creates the giant uh, mushroom cloud of angst. Uh, Appa right. technically sees that in the desert and is, like, trying to get to him, and it's, like, very sad. Um, yeah. And, you know, the the, the sand uh, swimmer or cruiser or whatever skimmer. it is. Skimmer, that's what it is. The sand skimmer that the gang finds uh, in the desert is... Um, it's technically there because Appa sneezes it into the sand dune. Ha-ha! Um, so that's explained now. And, uh... So Appa gets sold to these beetle heads. Yeah. They have beetles on their heads, and they've got a big beetle friend. And Beetle-headed uh, merchants. They're beetle heads. And so they sell them to the circus. Oh, but there's a great um, line in there, because they gotta sedate him, because Appa's all pissed off. And they just go, you're gonna take a nice little snoozle. <laughs> which is weird, because Toph called Sokka snoozles in, like, uh, I think it was Bitter Work. Oh, um, weird. Remember? I I guess. I don't remember. <laughs> I'll trust you, Well, though. yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, I guess it's just like a an Earth Kingdom expression. It's very common. You, you take a little say, snoozio. Take a snoozle, call people snoozles <laughs> if they're lazy. 
Um, or actually, these were just all written by a few writers. And yeah. So they repeat themselves. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's in an evil circus. So now it's circus. Dumbo. Yeah. It's gotta, Dumbo time. Gotta break the animal spirits. Uh, he, Appa's scared of fire to add to his list of phobias, also being underground. <laughs> yeah. I like um I like when the the circus trainer guy he's like I'm going to break you, and it <laughs> reminded me of uh, it reminded me of Bane from Batman, and so he said I, I would think it'd be funny if he said when Bossing says in ashes you have my permission to die, you know, <laughs> it's a uh, it's that's what we call a Batman reference. That's um, what we call in the biz a Batman reference. <laughs> But yeah, he's Dumbo. He's a he's like a flying mammal, similar to Dumbo. Yeah, he's performing circus stunts, but he doesn't really want and, to. And like the circus master tells the trainer, like he's performing tonight or else. And he has another great line where it's like, "This is the circus, home of fear and danger." And I was like, "Is is that what people like about the circus? Is that what the yeah. circus is? Fear and danger? They're all afraid. They all want to be afraid they're gonna get eaten by a lion." That's why they go. Is that? I guess. I guess that's. I just never associates the word the words like fear and danger with the circus, for some reason. Like that feels like a but haunted house. I associated with the word Dumbo because right. it's Dumbo. <laughs> uh, he even like makes a little friend. I mean, he's not a rat. Um, no. But he is a little boy, and yeah. the little boy's like, "Go, be free, get out of here," and. I guess that was all he needed. Yeah, <laughs> so. and then he left. But he's got uh, these chains on his feet because they had them all chained up at the circus. And he um, he takes a nap in, like, a barn. And then he and Aang dream fast about the first time they met. <laughs> and it's cute. Yeah, they, he's got a little flashback, and it's like they're dreaming the same thing. Um, I, something I found interesting is that like uh, Appa goes back to the desert, so it's like if they had just waited there for like a week, um, like <laughs> well, they would have died. died. But, but like if they had gone back out there and been like, let's just meet, you know, I'm sure Appa will come back. He remembers where we are, you know. He'll they... get out because he's Appa. <laughs> if they had just waited there for like you know a week, sort of traveled out there with some supplies, they, they would have found him. Uh, I guess. Um, then they do kind of like a Frankenstein thing. Yeah. Now he's afraid of fire because of the circus man being mm-hmm. a firebender. Um, doesn't come back later, like after he's back Does, with Aang. Doesn't it? Or no, does it not? It's fear of fire? I mean, I don't remember it coming back. Well, probably not, but we'll, we'll keep an eye out for it as we continue the rewatch. Um, then there's this brutal fight with a porcupine boar, and yeah. he gets a bunch of spines stuck in him, and he's just like, man, he just can't catch a break. No, but he successfully yeets the boar uh, out of the cave, and uh, yeah. like he literally throws this boar. It's kind yeah. of wild. Um, and he goes, and he's he's like sleeping there, and that's when Suki and the other Kyoshi warriors show up and are like, oh shit, it's Appa, we gotta help him. Um, yep. And they do, but then just as they do, Azula and friends show up, and they and fight. They say, what are you, the Avatar's fan girls? Because they use fans. Yeah, it's a. I thought it's it was a joke. funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And it's a really cool fight scene. Like, it the is. Kyoshi Warriors now have, like, these, like, foldable shields that, like, they used to block fire. And they've got swords, which are way cooler than fans. So, you know, <laughs> no offense to fans. Um, and it's just, like, a really badass fight scene. Yeah. Um, even though none of the main cast are there, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and it's nice that we're still able to get, like, a cool scene. Um without them and um yeah we just get to see some fun new fighting styles from people too um but there's um, there's a bad line suki's got to do the the harry and the hendersons thing oh my god i know get out of here you stupid animal can't you see we don't want you anymore (laughs) she does say go find ang so yeah but i mean he doesn't understand human language yeah that's fair like She's what she's really doing is like waving fire at him, right. saying like, "I'm your enemy, Appa. Leave. You shouldn't have ever trusted me. So you go, you go, and you run. Don't help me. Um, <laughs> and never come back." Um, yeah. Kylie has a dumb line where she's like, "You're not prettier than we are," and it is just. A I don't know. I line. think that sh- that's absolutely something that she would say. <laughs> but I just hate it. It's uh, like, why you're fighting? Who cares? What? She Why? does. She's very she's very superficial. I mean... She really cares about being pretty. That's her character. But, like, I guess. I don't know. It's, I just don't like the line. It, it feels yeah. strange. Um, yep. uh, yeah, so Appa goes flying around to places. Uh, Bato from the Water Tribe <laughs> with some other Water Tribe ships see him fly over, and he's like, oh, shit, it's Appa. Uh, and, uh, Zuko almost sees him, but Iroh is like, oh no, go back to sleep, it's fine, there's nothing here. <laughs> Ignore the um, Avatar. And then, uh, he goes to the, what is it, the Eastern Air Temple? I think he goes to the Eastern Air Temple. Yeah, This is the yeah. only time that we see it, um, other than in the finale. Yeah. And, uh, while he's there, he finds a, a guru, Guru Patik, and, Patik. uh, we get an intro to chakras, and... Uh, he learns to trust again. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that, like, he, you know, before he, like, trusted um, uh, Suki. Suki because she gave him some food. But now, like, his trust has been shattered with that. So it's really tough for him to trust this guy. Um, mm-hmm. So he literally has to, like, sit there for days and nights until uh, Appa is just so exhausted that he falls asleep. Yeah. Um, and it's just the, the sort of endurance of this, you know, spiritual master who, you know, has total control over his own body and experience. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's cool. It is very cool. Um, and, uh, again, like, after he falls asleep, uh, Patik sort of goes over to him and sort of talks about (laughs) chakras, um, which will become important (laughs) in the next two episodes. Right. Um, I I didn't realize how close to the end of the season some of this stuff was because there's just so much that happens. It's just really all kind of jam packed in there. Um, I mean, I think the pacing is actually pretty good. I mean, I like, agree. the tales of Bazing say gives you a break, and then this is like, you know, very tragic and depressing uh, and dark, <laughs> but it does it doesn't you know 
it's not like a bunch of plot points that you feel like you need to have all memorized. It's just a little right. bit of foreshadowing. Right. You know, you could skip this episode and the season would still make sense, mm-hmm. but it adds a little bit of zhuzh. I don't know. Zhuzh it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so then, uh, <laughs> so then I guess he uses, so then, like, s- swamp yeah. magic to the well, it's just spiritual connection, you know? It would have worked in the swamp even if they weren't in a swamp. Yeah, um, it's the invisible strings that connect us all, as he says. Right. And you uh, is able to basically show Appa in his mind where Aang is and uh, sends him off with a message tied to his horn that uh, Aang should come there and meet him. And yeah. so uh, he sends him off, and he lands in Ba Sing Se, and it's great because we hear the bison whistle, but then we see that it's not Aang that's blowing it; it's Long Fang, and he yeah. tricks him. Door twist, you know, someone's coming to open the door. It looks like they're going to open a particular door. It's the wrong door. It's the wrong door. It's um, a different person. Uh, yeah. and yeah, so he, he makes the footprint in the mud, and Long Fang does the flippy <laughs> floppy uh, trapdoor earthbending, which I, I love that idea, honestly. Like, it's just very good. Um, yeah. and, and Appa's now been captured, and that's where we leave off. Yep. So, Cora uh, time. Cora time. We're, we're Cora-ing. It's, um, it's Zaofu. What do you think of Zaofu as a as a setting, as a location, as a world building thing? Uh, I don't know, man. It's weird. They can't see the stars at night. That kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, but they're they're protected from in, invaders. It's 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 these big metal cities where big metal lotus structures that close like domes at at night to make it more easy to to safeguard. Um, and everything is sort of powered by metal bending in this city. Mm-hmm. I think it's a neat little location. It's It sort of has the same feel as, like, Omashu did back in season one, where it's I just mean, this yeah. new thing, and they're utilizing the bending in an interesting and creative way. Sure. Um, but you wouldn't want to live there, you're saying. No, no. It, it, <laughs> like... It's the sort of thing where, even in the show, it still gets portrayed as, like, a good place overall. But, like, there's a lot of things about it that I'm like, this place sounds stressful and bad. (laughs) I don't like it. Um, Like, it's a metal-bending city full of, like, overachievers, you know? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Well, it's it's just full of liberal yahoos. It's full of these pinko communists. (laughs) Um, Are they coming? And that's what Lynn hates about it, you oh know? Oh, my God. Lynn is such like, a fucking bitch in these episodes. She's such a cop is all. She she's is. just a fascist. Um, and, like, listen, you know, hashtag not all cops, but <laughs> Lynn is one of those cops. She really that is. suck. Um, she really is. <laughs> and, like, they try to make it out like this episode is about sort of, like, their troubled past. You know, Lynn doesn't like her sister, her half-sister, Su Yin. Um, you know, they had two different fathers mm-hmm. and it's because, you know, she's bitter from betrayal or whatever. No, this is a very political sort of rivalry, wouldn't you say? Uh, I, I mean, I This guess? is like your aunt who voted for Trump coming to Thanksgiving and you're just like, God, will you shut up? Um, 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, a little bit. Like, like you're kind of right. Um, I, I think like, I'm onto something here. Because, like, like, the thing that she hates more than anything is, like, when her niece, Opal, comes in. And it's like, I just want to connect with you, you know, to get some of your, you know, wisdom and stuff. And she's like, shut the fuck, get out of here. <laughs> you I suck. Mean, she she later apologizes for that. Like Right, like any aunt would, and they'd be like, you know, listen, you're such a uh you're you're blossoming into such a nice young girl. I just hate <laughs> to see you turning into a commie bastard like your mother. Oh my um, god. Um But like here's how much of a bitch Lynn is in this episode. Like, she starts the episode by like popping Naga's like fetch ball for like no reason. Just cause she's like, it's yeah. gross and I don't like it. <laughs> and, well, you know, uh, cops hate dogs. That's cops love dogs. What are you talking about? Cops shoot dogs. Oh my god. Um, uh, so we meet this guy in the entrance of the city named Iway. Yeah. Um, and he's just this like balding guy with a nose ring, and he's you know, kind of a human lie detector to look at. Yeah, he's a human lie detector, but, you know, we only know that because uh, Lynn tells them to lie and say that she's not on the uh, on the balloon. Yeah. And he's, like, immediately like, I know you're lying. Yeah. Um, but later, later he then, says the line, there's no secrets here, which, like, that's creepy. Like, privacy is an important thing. Like, stop. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Iway is not a heroic figure. I mean, in this episode, he's sort of framed as, like, a good thing that Sue supports, you know? Right, but then it's spoilers, but it's not going to end well. With yeah, him. yeah, all um, right, fair enough. But, you know, it's it's all set up. Uh, but, but, yeah, like, metal bending in this city is sort of the end-all, be-all. This is where, like the well-trained metal bender can sort of move here and contribute something right. um, without sort of uh, any kind of economic responsibilities. So it just basically becomes bourgeois art is, mm -hmm. is everything, right? Or at least that's all that we see of it. You know, like Lin is, right. or not so, Lin, Suyin is like the founder of this place. And so I'm sure right. occupies like a very prestigious and privileged lifestyle. She's made sort of like a Burning Man style commune in like I the mean, middle of nowhere. I wouldn't and, call uh, it and, Burning Man though. Like it's not all like free love, do whatever you want. It's. It is though. It's like, listen, you know, we, we will sponsor and feed you if you just want to come here and make ugly sculptures, um, you know, bourgeois art for rich people to consume and purchase. And, and if you want to do like, you know, dancing, like very culturally, like high art sort of things, that's but what it's you like can do. A commune for ballerinas versus like a commune for dirty hippies, you know, like. These, right. These well, are okay. Not... Well, yeah. So I guess Burning Man, no. But it's it's like um, I don't know. It's like a an it's art, like Juilliard an art commune. It's, it's like Juilliard. It's yeah. It's like a Juilliard, university a city. village. Yeah. Um. It, it, yeah. So, it, it, but it definitely has this sort of like 
post-hierarchical sort of, you know... I don't know. I there's think no responsibility in... of people to get a job kind of thing, I... um, which makes it sort of, you know, the liberal commie bullshit that, that Lynn would obviously hate because she loves having cops everywhere and arresting people and having poverty. But like, and in this city, are... there isn't really poverty. That we see. Like, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and assume that, like, because of their exports and the technology and whatever that they've all in, invented, they have sort of a surplus of, of wealth. And I don't know. It like, seems like no matter what you do, you get to eat. There's something there's something ominous. I, I think you're reading maybe too much into it. Because I, I got this more, like, semi-dystopian vibe off of the whole thing. Well, where... I think th- then I think you're reading too much into it. Because there's no implication of dystopic things here. You don't well, see anything like that. The truth here is, like... Sure, you're seeing like... probably the wealthiest person in the city. But the, the implication is that this city... Yeah, they have guards to, like, guard people from the outside, but that there's, like, basically no, um, you know, Internal crime. economic-based crime here because it's this collective, this artist collective that, that you know, we're above the sort of hierarchical things. Like, Su Yin's always talking about, um, you know, like, queens are so outmoded, you know. It's very, like, oh, so you still believe in a government? Like, <laughs> fuck you. Um, All right, I'm so enough. above this. I, I just it's it's not that it's like liberal. It's just very like it's like capital L liberal. Yeah, it's like these like you know these um, cultish sort of communes that yeah. that formed in in like the the fifties and sixties. Yeah. Um, but just with also a lot of technological advancement and and uh, engineering. Um, yeah, so, so they, the reason that they came here, I don't think we mentioned, is that they got a news report that, um, this girl, Opal, has, is an airbender now. Opal happens to be the daughter of, uh, Su Yin, so Lin's niece, um, and so they go and they say hi. They're like, hey. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, uh... Bolin flirts with her, and she's like... No, Bolin specifically does not flirt with her, because Bolin is oblivious, and that's the joke. So Opal, like, blushes and, like, like averts her eyes from Bolin's, like, handsomeness, um, and they have this, like, awkward handshake, and and Bolin starts, like, oversharing about, you know, uh, like, Opal, wow, that's a great name. Just sparkling. Um... And that's Bolin's sort of M.O. You know, later on, they're, like, having dinner, and he's like, yo, you know, like, this is my life. You know, I grew up homeless, <laughs> and then I made it rich. You know, I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. Yeah. Um, uh, his life is terrible. His Everything life in his life awful. sucks. Um, also, <laughs> can I make one comment about the dinner scene? Literally, no yeah. one eats anything in that entire scene. I did not pick up on that. No one um, picks up a knife and fork and, like, puts something in their mouth. They just, like, look at this food and they're like, yes, it's so delicious. I love the food from this <laughs> chef. Yeah. It's very um, strange. Just a little bit. But before note. that, we have this nice, quiet little moment. And I think this is something that kind of sets apart season three is that they'll have these little quiet moments mm-hmm. um, where... Uh, 
Melkor is teaching Opal to airbend, and they're just sort of quietly circle walking, and and they make a little whirlwind, and, you know, Opal's a natural, you know, go figure. And then we're looking at them from above, and then it's like a match cut with a a fade, um, a crossfade onto Air Temple Island, where... They're doing basically the same thing, teaching new airbenders to, to airbend using the, the Be the Leaf scene from, from book one. Right, and uh, something we didn't mention earlier is that Zaheer has infiltrated the airbender uh, Air Temple Island or whatever, and is yeah. uh, trying I, I to Yeah, I really like the new design for Zaheer where he's shaved, because it just it's much more unique oh, yeah. to look at. Um, he's got, you know, sort of scars on his head, or, or maybe they're just like shaving lines i don't know what i feel you call like they're supposed to be scars but who knows yeah and he's got i you know we we saw this in his other design but it's more clear here he's got sort of like cauliflowered ears like a boxer <laughs> um he, he's he's an interesting dude um i, I really like zaheer i think he's one of the I, I think he's probably the best villain in either series probably um uh, I like him a lot, and he's so laid back, which makes him both more threatening and more relatable. Like so it's very sort of... terrifying because, like, he just exudes this sort of like dark power. <laughs> like I don't know how but else it's also to, like, very put it. zen darkness. Yeah, like he's he's so zen, unlike you know Unalak, who's like. I'll fucking kill you if you right. turn your back. I'm the evil wizard. Right and. You know, Zaheer is not that. He's like, he's just like a chill dude who's gonna lead a cult into revolution. Which is like, um, which is what makes it even scarier is how Zen he right. is. You know, like he's yeah. not the ranting, raving villain. Villain, wah. Um, he's you know the sort of center. He's, he's the philosopher. Philosopher, yeah, yeah. Um, but so. At the dinner scene back in uh, Metal Bending City, yeah, uh, Varric shows up again. Varric's back, baby. It's great. Yeah, because where do criminals go where they're not going to be punished? It's <laughs> Zaufu. Yeah, yep. I mean they they'll take in anybody. They'll take in pirates. They'll take in Varric's. Um, <laughs> right. I I mean here's the thing. I I'm of two minds about this because I love Varric and I'm so glad that he's back because he really is the most delightful part of the show. Uh, but mm-hmm. it is weird that Asami is just instantly like, that's eh, okay. And everyone else is also just like, yeah, I guess we got to forgive you because you're important Well, here. Mako's kind of not, which is, you know, that's very Mako. He's, he's very he's much also a, cop, a cop. Always a cop. <laughs> um, but like, I think the bigger issue is just that Asami has no lines. I know, the, like none. In either of these episodes. She has like ridiculous. two lines. That's it. I mean, like... I don't know, like, maybe it was kind of a smaller cast in, uh, you know, in the original Avatar, but it seemed like in every episode, you know, all of them had lines. Yeah. Well, it's because Asami doesn't have a personality, so they don't know what lines to give her. But they went through all the effort of trying to give her a personality in, like, the car driving scene earlier in the season. They're just choosing not to (sighs) use it. Like, I mean, she is a good foil for Korra in some ways, but they're just not using her. 
Because n- these episodes aren't particularly Korra-focused, and Korra's not struggling through something, so we don't need to bother with a foil, right, guys? Right. No, that's Which not is just, you know, maybe this whole, like, diversion to Lin's family is yeah. pointless, and maybe we should have just let Lin be a terrible cop character and not yeah. try and give her a backstory. I mean, it really how makes... How did she get her scars? We gotta find out how she got her scars. How did Fury lose his eye, David? We gotta find out. Um... Yeah. <laughs> flirting time. Flirting time. Bolin tries to flirt because Mako tells him that Opal is into him. And so then he's like, okay, but- oh, I wasn't trying to flirt before. So now that I know that she likes me, I'm going to try flirting. And he's like, hey, baby, what's up? And she's like, gross. And yeah. he's like, what? I thought you liked me. And then she's like, who said I liked you? And he's like, what? But I thought you did like me. And she's like, just, <laughs> just kidding. kidding. I like you. <laughs> It's bad. Um, but also, he's like, yeah, too bad she's not my type. And I'm like, why? Do you have a type? You, you've you liked a lot of random people. Well, he what? seems to be attracted mainly to, like, um, you know, class, I guess. Like, people of a higher social class than he is. But Opal like is a certainly movie star like or... a higher... She's the daughter of the city founder. Like, it's pretty high class. I guess... I don't know. Yeah. I, he doesn't really have a type. But I just... The point is just that, like, he's unable to tell when somebody likes him because yeah. he's always the pursuer. And that's what uh, it's about. Yeah. And, and it's, it's cringy. It's certainly cringy. But, I mean... Like, the main thing that I wanted to point out about this relationship is that it's done so explicitly, which reinforces my point that the the Korasami thing is bullshit. Those two have not had a shared scene together since episode one. <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> and true. And they never blush, and they never have awkward, terrible dialogue no. about how you need to be yourself. Okay. And they never flirt. So, therefore... Not a love interest in this season. Not in this season. In I conclusion. Um, we can talk about it more when we get to season four. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, also, again, Asami has had, like, zero dialogue, so there's nothing. Right. Um, and then, then we find out how Sue founded the city, where she basically went on an extended gap year and then used money from somewhere to just like from, buy land and found a city from piracy from piracy pirate, probably and, and she worked in a circus yeah um so that that happened uh yeah and and i mean i i kind of believe it like the 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 plot of land that they use looks super cheap um and the only expensive thing is that it's made out of tons of metal which right. you know I I believe that they could just find a metal. I don't know. They're near mountains ish. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, so that's something and then Cora's like I'm going to fix Lynn's relationship because that's what I do now. <laughs> yeah. Um which I think is an interesting development for her because before her thing was just not giving a shit about anybody but herself. Yeah. Um, but now she thinks that she's super wise and that she can solve anyone's problems. So now she's the meddling sort of person. Yes, yes. She's become um, 
a busybody, a yenta. <laughs> right. I don't know if, like, maybe we're supposed to sympathize with her, but I actually think that it's an interesting point of development because it's such a wrong-headed move for her. Like, right. it's changing from complete apathy towards others to complete meddling and, like, unable to sympathize with others. And, like, it would be interesting if the point of all of this was that, like, Cora is really bad at finding, like, a balance, like, a middle ground on thing. Like, she's very black or white on, on a lot of issues. But she will eventually. She gets better at this over, over time as well. Right, you know, right. But, people. like, it's not... It could be stronger if it was an explicit theme and didn't seem like they were just like trying random shit with the character you know right <laughs> like like it doesn't feel pointed or on purpose as it is right now it just feels like now this is what Cora does and we should all agree with her um Wait. meanwhile back on air temple island kaya somehow recognizes that zahir is zahir um to be fair he was also being like as suspicious as possible <laughs> <laughs> Um, and they have I mean, a fight. He, it had been like for, like forty. It had been like twenty years yeah. since she had last seen him. Yeah, for like thirteen years or something. Yeah. Um, How and he is. shaved him his entire body. <laughs> I mean, who knows? That's my canon is that he's not just shaved his head. He shaved, he shaved everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> like a swimmer. <laughs> um, like an airbender. Um, okay. Yeah, there but you yeah, go. So yeah. he escapes. Yeah, he um, escapes. And he, he, yeah, and he's still talking about Guru Lahima. He says, let go your earthly tether, enter mm-hmm. the void, empty, and become wind. And yeah. that kind of feels like something that could be a real poem from, like, a philosopher. Yeah, like a Buddhist monk or something. Um, yeah. But, and that, that's about the end of the episode. That's it. And then um, we got but, old you know, wounds. It's sort of like a cliffhanger, because where's Zaheer? And, and also, Lynn is still sad, so She's we didn't resolve so it. She's still so sad. So let's let's get into that shit in Old Wounds, um, right. where we get... Which opens with... <laughs> Magnavot, Iron Man, Varric, which is great. Yeah. It's very Man. good. It still continues to be the biggest source of joy and laughter in these episodes. He's pretty great. Um... Yeah, so Cora learns metal bending on her first try. <laughs> yep. I, all right, and then Aang apparently never learned earth be- or metal bending, like, ever. I guess. He never tried, maybe. Uh, um, yeah. But Cora's just like instantly good at pretty much everything, like except airbending. But then and, she like, got connecting with magic. her spiritual self, which is never really useful anyway. Right. Um, but Bolin can't metal bend. He's a failure. Oh, he's so sad. Uh, and he, like, I will... he's in denial about it for the whole episode. And he's like, uh, I'm not a failure. I just never wanted to metal bend. And then Opal's like, you know, at the end of the you episode. You should try. Like, but you, you should try. And he's like, oh, yeah, but what about you? You're also a failure because you want to go to Air Temple land and you're not. And Opal's <laughs> like, you're right. Um, which is weird because parents. she's never expressed any desire to go. Like, not real desire. Like, right. It's not like she actually cares that much. <laughs> right. Like, um, it's, it's very much been, like, a mild want sort of in the background a little bit. Not even right. really. Um, and then Bolin's <laughs> like, look at us. Talking about our feelings. Yeah. Supporting each other. So and bad. it's like, not really. And also, if you got to put a button on it, it probably sucked. Yeah. Um, is what it is. 
It is what it is. During the, the training sequence with the metal bending, uh, they use, like, meteorite metal, and, um, you know, Sue is sort of metal bending it into different fun shapes or whatever, and we don't get a Nickelodeon splat this time, David. I... Show's canceled. I, I didn't know that you really wanted that to happen. I again. didn't want uh, that at all. I hated the Nickelodeon splat. Well, <laughs> um, it didn't bother me. It just like I don't know. I think it putting too much weight into the splat. Um, this was stupid. Um, but they didn't have it here, and I noticed anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lynn's so, feeling achy. She's got aches and pains in her old bones. Lynn is feeling achy, and she's being like a huge cop to other cops in this town because but there's a great line that i just have to read because it's so good Zalfu is the most secure city in the world is that the line uh no that's not the line the best line yeah. is uh there's one guard talking to like this other guard and he's like how many push-ups did you do last night because i did like oh. 50 I almost like, wrote that down, but it, it isn't funny or too bad. It, it isn't so I bad it's good, so or and it's funny. also not good. I don't either. know. Like, it's stupid, but I laughed. Like, it caught me off right. guard. It was just so dumb. I enjoyed it. It's just, like, monumentally. It's, yeah, it's just out of nowhere. How many push did you do? Yeah, but then uh, Lynn's, Lynn's an asshole to them, and is it uh, Iway who's like, ah, go see this acupuncturist guy? Yeah, I think so. But, yeah, it's whatever. So she goes and does magic acupuncture to deal with her repressed feelings that are literally hurting her. And uh, we get a... And the guy, like, literally says, like, acupuncture will unlock your old memories. And she's like, whatever. And then immediately (laughs) goes into a flashback. Right. Um, It's so on the nose. This episode bothers me a lot. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. Um... Like the also the flashbacks are they're just dragged out over the whole episode. They really are. You could basically explain it with like a line. Right, like. Sue Yin robbed a jewelry store and Lynn arrested her. (laughs) But then it was bad, I guess, and Toph. Right, she slashed her 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 wire, and uh, the wire whiplashed and you know gave Lynn a scar on her face, which is representative of the emotional scarring of uh, her the event. sister being a criminal and her being a cop. Yeah. I like, this is not how real relationships work. That what was, what, what worked about the last episode. And I actually liked the last episode was that, uh, you know, the, the, the conflict seems very political to me. I don't know. It feels natural and real. Like, people just have these family members who don't agree with us fundamentally on, like, our philosophy and consider us to be freaky weirdos. <laughs> and that that works for me. What doesn't work is, like, you should have taken the fall and gone to jail. If you did that, then Toph would have still remained the chief of police. Yeah, it's a little lackluster. And here's the real thing, right? I didn't notice this in book one because we don't see it or talk about it for very often. Mm-hmm. But in this flashback, Toph is wildly out of character. Oh, yeah. And, like, the reason for it is I don't know if she would ever be chief of police. Like, Oh, for sure. Her main defining characteristic in Avatar is that she's... 
Yeah, she's anti-authority. She hates any kind of rules and regulations. Like, why would she be chief of police? It makes no sense. It makes zero sense. I agree with you 100%. Um, But I think it's interesting that I didn't notice that in book one. And that it took this flashback to make me realize that. It's because in book one, like, everyone's out of character. Like... None okay, of it. Well, fair. None of it. But really I believe that like Sokka tracks. would be. I believe that Sokka would be like a you know a governor of a small state, and I believe that you know Katara would be a healer um, and sort of a wise sage and mother. Um, like I believe that stuff. I believe that you know Ang would have been a shitty dad. Um, <laughs> I just don't believe. That Toph would ever be a cop. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's, it's That's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I mean, I, again, I agree with you. I think it's crazy also that she's just like, quick, let's cover this up and tear up the police report and get my daughter out of the city. Like, yeah. like I, I don't know. Like, Toph also seems to be very much about taking responsibility for your own actions. And, like, this feels like the opposite of that, you know? Yeah, but she wouldn't ever tell somebody to go to jail. So I guess it kind of makes sense that she would say just, like, all right, get out of the city. You know, go live as a pirate. I don't give a shit. Um, Yeah, they keep trying to push this thing, like, Toph was sort of a laissez-faire parent because she was a working single mom. Uh, and so she like gave her kids too much freedom Uh and so they never knew how to please her. And so, you know, that's why they are the way they are. Um, and then like the, the flip side is that later on Su Yin is going to say like, I've been too strict with my kids, which doesn't make any sense because they're all like, you know, uh, spoiled artists who, you know, don't do any work all day and just make banana sculptures. Right. I mean, I I think that's referring to the fact that she's like, no, everyone has to stay here as my family forever, like, that they sort of allude to. It doesn't make any sense that she would say that. Right. (laughs) Because she's such a laissez-faire parent. She's such a, you know, do whatever you want, I support you no matter what. Right. You know, oh, you want to invent a sport that sucks and, like, no one will ever play because it's only for metal benders, which are, like, 0.1% of the population? Uh, Great. Go for it. Love it. Follow your bliss. Follow your bliss is exactly right. And so, like, I don't believe that you would ever say no to anybody. Right. It's just not um, built up enough in her character. I think it, it was just no. a stupid plot line to be there. One, for the Opal Bolin of it all. But then also right. just so that she could say, I also <laughs> am not the best parent. And I understand, right. Mom. Hooray. Right. But, but, like, the reason that she's not the best parent is actually because she spoils the shit out of her kids and (laughs) gives them hibiscus root salads and they've never met a poor person in their life. Right. Um, Anyway, (laughs) there, uh, there's, like, a point where, um, like, in in the flashback where Lynn is just like, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but... It's, like, kind of pointless, and it doesn't even leave off on, like, a cliffhanger. Like, you know exactly what's going to happen when she comes back. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very strange. Uh, but then she leaves, and she's like, oh, you've left in the middle. So now you're going to be, like, 
a drunk person. But also the only why. the only weird side effect is that she thinks <laughs> Cora is like her teenage sister for like well, three I, seconds. I actually like that. It's sort of it's more symbolic. It's not literal, but it's no, just I like know. she it's showing that she sees Cora as this rebellious younger sister um that she hates, which is why she was always so mean to her in I book guess. one. Which that that kind of makes sense. I mean it it was weird that she was so abrasive with Cora in uh in book one. Yes. But now it kind of is resolved in, in, in that way. I guess. Um, I mean, if you don't like it, you don't like it. I mean, we're, we're, I, you know. I mean, I don't like it because it's the only side. Of, like she doesn't like, no, she's dizzy and like tripping over shit. Right. She's like... dizzy and tripping, but like she like dizzily trips home, has one interaction with another person is like, gotta go back for more of this shit. <laughs> Like, you know, like, there's no actual consequences to her leaving in the middle other than she thinks Cora's her sister metaphorically for, like, ten minutes or whatever. Yeah, but the point wasn't, like, you leave in the middle and then something really bad happens to you. Like, the the point was... But I'm saying uh, plot-wise... To give give people a break from the flashback. I guess. Like, it it was just a plot thing. So that's why it's lazy. But, I mean... The, so the, the issue of side effects was not really my my issue. It was just like, why even take that break if you're not going to do anything with it? Right, that's what I'm saying. Is like they could have done something there. They could have made like the side effects meaningful to the story, but they didn't. I mean, the fight scene could have gone there. Oh, so I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But like, she goes back and resolves the the you know flashback, mm-hmm. um, and then she's like. All right, I've figured it out why I'm so upset. I've got to go fight my sister <laughs> to the death. Yeah. Um, so she goes and does that. And I, I love Cora in this scene because she's with Bolin and she's like, should I stop this? And Bolin's like, nah, they're siblings. This is, you just got to let them fight. <laughs> and it's like, no, Cora, this is exactly where you're supposed to step in. But they have fucking Opal do it, I guess. Because reasons, like I can't. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like she would have more of like an investment in the moment, and it's you know her arc is about learning to speak her mind more. I guess. I guess. Yeah, as much as a character like Opal can have an arc. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I don't know. It's it was. Just, it's also so, strange and messy. It like it, this. It's also a really weird edit where Lynn pops into frame to attack Suyin. It's like kind of out of nowhere, and you think like you're about to be cutting to like a different time because she says, "Let's get started," and then it cuts to Lynn, like earthbending, and you're like, "Oh, is that Bolin earthbending?" Mm. Right. Because you're just like not really sure. It's just a weird edit. Anyway. Um. They're, like, arguing while they're fighting, and Lin's like, you're a criminal, and you destroyed my relationship with my mother. And Suyin is like, oh, yeah, well, you're unmarried. (laughs) I know, she says, like, the meanest shit. No wonder Tenzin broke up with you years ago. You're so bitter and isolated, you childless whore. (laughs) Like... Not whore, shit. but just like you lonely cat lady. You yeah. Know? You weird cop. Um which is I mean, she is a weird cop. She is a weird cop, but like, dang girl. Oh, man. We all got so baggage. Then then 
then Lynn like collapses and she's got to go into a metamorphosis because this is like, we're going to get to it next episode, but like, this is sort of a parallel with what Zuko goes through, which just makes it all the worse because it's like Zuko actually had an arc and (laughs) Lynn has two episodes. Yeah. It's, um, it's so lazy. But yeah, she's having her transformation. But, like, she has this transformation, I guess, but, like, nothing really actually changes. She's just, like, Well, she less comes out grumpy. wearing a dress. She's wearing a dress now, and she's slightly less grumpy. Like, that's their transformation? Like, what? That's enough. And, and also, like, nothing was actually really resolved. She just passed out, you know? Like, yeah. none of, none of, nothing about this is satisfying. And now she's no longer angry at Su Yin for ruining her family. Like, yep. she's that's, over it. That's about it. And now she goes and talks to Opal, and it's like, Opal, you really want to go to Air Temple. I'm telling you what you want. And she's like, I don't know what I want. And it's like, you want to go to Air Temple. And she's like, oh, yeah, okay. I'll go to Air Temple. Thanks, crazy aunt. Thanks, aunt. Aunt racist. Um, <laughs> is she racist? I don't know. She's just a cop. I just She's assume just all a... cops are racist. <laughs> um, yeah, so they work it out. Meanwhile, Zaheer and his gang of goonies are camped out, and the cops are looking for him. And yeah. they're like, we gotta find Cora. And then he does some meditation and shit, and uh, swamp magic, and finds her. So there's swamp magic in both of these. It's not actually swamp magic. You find out later, actually, that there's a specific thing that he's doing. Oh, and do, that's you, how he finds do you? I, I really don't remember, like, anything in Korra. Like, yeah. again, just broad yeah. strokes. So my, That's why I'm here. My guess Anna. was swamp I, magic. I remember. <laughs> you remember. It's supposed so to be a mystery to. of how Zaheer, through meditation, can know where Korra is. I just assumed swamp magic, and maybe it's just because I, I was watching Avatar and we got Guru Patik and all that shit. But like, yeah, that's what I assumed. It's a mystery. We'll we'll find out. Um, By the way, Gazan gets a third and fourth line in this episode. Really woo-hoo! making really really making strides and in, in having lines. I can't remember what either of the lines are because nope. they're completely like they could have been said by anybody, but yep. you know, they're lines. Um, <laughs> Better than Asami, who didn't speak once this entire episode. I'm pretty sure. If she showed I, up, maybe she did, but I'm not keeping track of her lines. I'm keeping track of Gazan's lines because he's oh uh, the most important character this season. <laughs> um, All right. Uh, well, tell us who you. I think also the like most... that the armless girl is the getaway driver. That, yeah. That that gave me a, a chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're into that. It's just, you know, like, of the people that they have, who would you least expect to be the getaway driver? The girl with no arms. I mean, she basically has arms. They're just water arms. I, but, but she does not have arms. It's, that's funny. All right, all um, right. She's driving with water. <laughs> water stuff. All right. Well, that's like a cliffhanger, you know, maybe we'll find out next time. Maybe we won't. Uh, how Zaheer knows where Cora is. All right. Tell us who uh, whose lines you're keeping track of in Korra and uh, what your whose favorite... Whose line is it anyway? What? Whose line is it anyway? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, 
And uh, tell us what your favorite tale of Bossing Say was. You can tweet at us at Talking Tropes or uh, comment uh, if if you want to rate, like rate the podcast. Subscribe. We'd appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye bye. Oh.